You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. This is a break from the normal Britflix.com podcast service, what I'm grandly calling the Future of Film series, where I talk to a number of professionals across the film industry about the impact of COVID and perhaps look into our crystal balls and see what that might mean for the future of film, the future of cinema, and in particular, what it means for indie filmmakers. Without further ado... On with the show. Recently, as in during the pandemic, I've interviewed 20 people who are taking part in Inside Pictures programme. And we talked a lot about what does the pandemic mean for the film industry and what does a post-COVID world mean for the film industry. And understandably, everyone had a lot of guesses and opinions, but nobody had the answer because there was 20 different answers, there was 20 different impacts, and this is people who work in production, who work in distribution, who work in exhibition, who work in sales, people who work in stop motion animation, you know, there was no real full understanding of what this might all mean. So, with that in mind, I reached out to people to see if I could get some opinions on maybe how they see what's what's happened, what's happening, and what might happen in the future. Welcome to another Brickfix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Jason Wood. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. You are the Artistic Director of Film and Culture at Home in Manchester, a place that people who might recognise my accent is a place from where where I grew up. (laughs) It is the the behemoth of a building that replaced the very small-looking corner house that I used to frequent when I lived in Manchester. Yeah, it was it was two. It was an amalgamation of two companies: the Corner House, which had been in existence for about thirty years, and the Manchester Library Theatre Company. For for those that don't know, home it's a multi-purpose arts venue, a little bit like the Barbican. If mm. you're listening in London, you know it's it's got five cinema screens, um, two theatre stages, and three public um, art galleries. Uh, and and uh, yeah, we've been in existence for just over six years, and I think it's fair to say we've been pretty pretty successful uh you know we're very pleased with how it's gone 
It's definitely a, a place that's at the centre of whatever Manchester culture is from a kind of cinema and art point of view. And that feels good when I talk to friends back home. Good to hear. Just to recap on what I've already said in some of the other ones is that a lot of what fueled the notion of me doing these series of podcast interviews outside the usual sort of Q&As with filmmakers that I might do is that the the trolls going online, the Mulan live version going on Disney+, Plus, even even as, as lockdown started, Invisible Man being available almost like a week within a week of lockdown. These were these were changes in the way that the the precious cinema release window was being attacked because there was no cinemas open. There was no there was no defence of it because there was nowhere else to show it. So it was kind of either you let us show our films or not. And um, and so with that in mind, it, it kind of it kind of felt as a headline that this was something to do with COVID. But in a sense, having done a series of interviews with Inside Pictures participants, they all basically told me that. This is part of a trend that speeded up, that was already in transit. This isn't new. So the rise of online is inevitable. Get on board or go out of business. Well, do, you want to, do you want to unpick that in terms of a point? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you've had Damien on. Da- Damien is um, doing the job that I used to do at, at Curzon. When, when I was at Curzon, it was when we began to de- develop Curzon Home Cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were putting films, simultaneous release in our own cinemas uh, and on our own Curzon Home Cinema channel. You know, this is seven, eight years ago when we when we started it. I think where the major major changes comes, Stuart, is now the the studios are doing it. You know, when it was smaller independent films, there would be one or two other independent cinemas that would be slightly unhappy about it. But it quite quickly became in, in industry standard in the independent sector. Now, the fallout of that would be that the the the, the kind of multiplex operators wouldn't play the films, and obviously, Picture House, which is owned by Cineworld would also not play films if they were simultaneous. But I think the really big change, which has been hastened by COVID and the lockdown, was studios doing it. As mm. you said, Mulan, uh, The Invisible Man, these were all films that were, that were released direct on online platforms um, during the lockdown. And I don't think that that pattern is going away. I think the idea of multiplex is being able to demand a 16-week window, which is the gap between a film appearing in a cinema and appearing for home viewing on an online or a streaming platform. I think those days are gone and I don't think we'll be going back to that. And I think any operator that tries to enforce this rigidity is going to find it very, very hard to survive. I mean, we've already seen it when cinemas were able to reopen uh, during uh, after the first lockdown. You've seen some of the multiplex operators such as Odeon played Rocks, View, I think played Rocks uh, and a few other independent films. Mm. And these were all films that were available for people to stream. So I, I think that has been the major change. And obviously we've seen Warner Brothers have, have, have announced that going forwards, their films will be available for streaming. So June will be a film which will be available for streaming. And I, I'm not sure there may be a gap between a film appearing in cinemas and appearing uh, available for online, but it's certainly not going to be the 16 weeks that the multiplexes have been, have been used to. Th- those days are over. Um, uh, and I think in some ways that's a positive thing. You know, um, not everybody has access to a cinema. Not you know people some some people coming back are going to have long standing health issues. It's going to make them slower to return to the cinema. And I think that what this does it puts some of the power back to audiences. Um, and I think it's I think that uh, to an extent is right. I think you know you touched on this in your introduction. There's been a lot of rhetoric that online is going to replace physical cinemas, and I don't believe that 
for a moment. I got quite annoyed during the first lockdown where The Guardian kept writing articles that online was going to kill cinema. I don't think that's the case at all. I think online and physical cinema are two very, very different things entirely. And we can go on to talk about why that is or why I think that is later on, if you like. But uh, online is here to say isn't going to go anywhere. But I also very firmly believe that physical cinemas and cultural venues uh, need to be accorded the, the, the same. They're not they're not going to go anywhere either, uh, either. And we have firm evidence of that. When home and other independent cinemas and other cinemas reopened after the first lockdown, we had very good figures. We were selling out and we were selling out with a, 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 a variety of films that were new releases, but also a variety of films that had been available online. The, the opening home programme, when we first reopened after the first lockdown, included a number of Curzon films, uh, such as Shirley, uh, the Josephine Decker film. We also had um, uh, Mogul Mowgli. We had Clemency, who we had The Assistant, the brilliant film by Kitty Green. These are all films that people could have watched online while we mm. were closed but they didn't. They wanted to come and see them with us. And we sold out all of our screenings. The first three or four weeks, we were sold out of capacity for every single film. Now, there is a, a reduced capacity because of social distancing, but the very clear message that we got from our audience is that it's great that we could have watched these films online, but we still want to come and see them at your venue. We still want, to, we still want the physical screening experience. Now, the physical screening experience is very different. You know, just taking home as an example, we have five screens, Every single screen has 4K projection. Mm. Every single screen has 7.1 surround sound. We have 35 mil in screen one, 16 mil in screen three. Now, the experience of watching a film in one of those screens is going to be very different to watching a film on this, what we're talking on today, <laughs> or watching a film on this. Now, that's not to say it's a better experience. I believe it is a better experience, but it's a different experience. But undoubtedly, you're going to get stronger technical specifications in a cinema, and you're going to get a communal experience in a cinema, which is something you're not going to get at home. Um, but as I said, it doesn't necessarily make it better. It doesn't privilege one over the other, but it does mean that I think the two are going to exist in synergy for some kind to come. I know, I know. And what's interesting is that for all of the scaremongering from people who aren't necessarily what you would call industry experts, but they're just deciding to see a cause and effect and go, oh, look, there's five as an answer. Um Throughout the ages, we've we've been told that cinema's been been dead. I think the fifties television was going to kill it, and I think video was going to kill it, and all over, and then obviously now streamers are going to kill it. But then, what they've what the what the what the real statistics say is that people that buy watch things on streamers are the people that go to cinema more. So it's not it's not an either or. It's actually just I want to watch films when I want, but also I want to watch films in a darkened room with strangers as well, because I like watching films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think you have to, you know, also remember that when, when we went into the first lockdown, cinema attendances were very, very high mm -hmm. and they were very, very high for a really broad diversity of films. I mean, you have to remember that just prior to lockdown, we'd had Bong Joon-ho's Parasite mm -hmm. distributed by Curzon. Uh, and that had gone on to be the highest grossing foreign language film in the UK in history. It had also been the first film to win the Best Picture, uh, film in the foreign language to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It had won prizes at Venice, Toronto, all the numerous film festivals. This was a film in a foreign language that had had huge, broad appeal. Hmm. You know, it, it had not just been an art house hit, it had been a hit, full stop. And I think that that, that, that is a really good thing for the industry because as Bon Joon-ho said when he 
accepted his award, you know, it proved that a one-inch subtitle shouldn't be a barrier to audiences. So I think people were very optimistic about that. We'd had other foreign language films that had done well and been successful, Portrait of a, of a Woman on Fire, another another Curzon film. So cinema audiences were, were, were high, and they were high for, a, for a, as I said, a diversity of films. They were proving that people didn't just want mainstream films, they wanted films outside of the mainstream. So the lockdown hit at, at, at a really bad time because people were coming through through cinema doors. Um, but I think the, the notion that online was going to replace film was scaremongering. And as I said, you said in industry experts, it was disappointing to me to read it in the pages of The Guardian because you, you, would, you would think that a publication like The Guardian would have certain uh, more knowledge. Uh, but it was almost as if they were willing the death of cinema. And I think what people have forgotten and I think this is a very important point to make, is that what we've seen, especially during the second lockdown, we have seen that cinemas, museums, galleries, arts venues, arts organisations in general, isn't just somewhere where people go to spend their money. It's where people go to meet, to commune, and to enjoy a communal experience. I mean, culture is one of the things, I think, which genuinely binds society. At a time in our civilization when society is really fractured and facing a lot of challenges. You know, you mentioned Twitter. There's a lot of hate in this world. I think culture is one of those things that communes people. It's mm. one of those things that allows people to come together, air and understand their differences, and, and, and take a much more broader approach to some of the images and some of the, the art that they're being presented with. You know, it's a way where people understand each other and understand different perspectives. You know, we've seen the rise of films by women filmmakers, We've seen the rise of films by filmmakers of different ethnicities and different ethnic backgrounds. We've seen a lot of films by LGBT plus filmmakers. And it seems to me that the cultural space in the cinema space has become a place of understanding. Uh, as I said, where people really do want to come together and, and, and understand and, and maybe steer to society towards a better place. And that's why I think the, the physical cinema space isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, yeah, this this plays into two two of the points that you, you'd raised when we had a sort of pre-chat about this. You've got you've got we need to see and appreciate cinema, and I guess in brackets museums and art galleries as as exp viewing experiences that have value and not just see them as a place just just you know good enough to be compete with online. There's something more going on with a cinema. You know, and the example we we talked about was Mandy was a cinematic experience. It wasn't just a film. There's there's something about those reds and those those dark moments and the tiger in the on the you know in the glass cage and yeah. stuff. That watching it on your phone, you're not going to feel as as Suno's music begins to drown you out. You know, your your sound system at home is going to really make you feel like you're in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm 52 and I, I've been obsessed with cinema pretty much my whole life and 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 you know i've had i've been fortunate enough i grew up in in london in the late 70s and 80s when you could you could go around london as, as i'm sure you could at other at the other regional film theaters across the country and you, and you could you, you could really educate yourself you could see films by all of the masters so, you know ozu bresson um uh Yajit ray the hollywood masters as well you know nicholas ray and howard hawks you could go and see these films in those days on 35 mil in the cinema you could just travel around london on a friday saturday sunday with time out and just find a classic film playing somewhere now that that was obviously replaced uh you know with the with the with the decline of repertory cinema uh, and digital coming in and changing things that kind of went away now what online has done 
is it's enabled people, you know, the, the, the curated sites like Curzon and Mubi, which Martin Scorsese mentioned. I mean, we might want to talk about Martin Scorsese later and his comment about content, which, mm. I, which I agree with. Um, but, you know, just going back, Mandy was one of the greatest cinema experiences that I'd had for a long, long time. I mean, mm. we, we showed it as part of Film Fair, which is a big season that we do at home every October in collaboration with Film 4. It's a collection of horror films. But Mandy, you know, I went to the projection booth beforehand and I said, let's turn this one up. You know, we had a full house, uh, so about 240 people. Uh, in fairness, some people knew what they were coming for. We had Nicholas Cage fans there that, that wanted Cage to go the full Cage, you know, do a spinal tap, turning it up to 11. We had horror fans there. We had music fans there. You know, we had people that had come because they knew that Sun O music and King Crimson music had been used in the film. And you had a real collection of people, young people, old people, a few people had a few drinks. It was a Saturday night. And people really wanted to have a good time. And I can tell you that was the best viewing experiences I'd had for years. It was loud. It was raucous. People were really engaging with the scene, with, with, with the film. You know, we have to get away from the idea that, that cinemas are churches. You know, they're not. They're, they're not places of exclusivity. We have to think of cinemas as places of inclusivity. Mm. And I really loved the fact that during that film, people were engaging with the film. You know, they weren't on their phones, but they were engaging with the film. They were shouting things at the screen in, in a way which made it a really cathartic and visceral viewing experience. And we have to encourage that. You know, we have to encourage different ways of people engaging with cinema. We, we, we have, we showed a film uh, recently called um, by Andrzej Ignatiev, the great Russian filmmaker. Uh, you know, we showed The Banishment, The Return. And we had a lot of Russian audiences come and see those films. And they engaged with those films in a very different way. You know, they kind of spoke at the films. They engaged with it in a different way. Wow. You know, when we showed um, when we showed uh, Dolomite is my name, you, you know, we had similar thing. We had, you know, audiences engage with films in different ways, and we have to kind of encourage that, I think. But Ma Mandy was a really good example because it, it you wouldn't have been able to repeat that at home. I mean, you could have got a load of friends around and watched it on, on a television screen, and I'm sure it would have been great, you know, with some pizza and some beers. It would have been a lot of fun. But with 240 other people going on that same journey with you, you you're not going to replicate that. No, I mean, I, I, my, the second time I saw it on a big screen was a friend of mine do a pop-up cinema in Walthamstow, and we showed it to 100 people in a, in a brewery in, in E17, and it was just amazing. Obviously, some of the technical aspects weren't as good as what you would have been showing, but the communal experience of having a decent ale down here getting more raucous as the film goes on because uh, the film gets more raucous, you know? And so you could, you could, yeah. you could react to it as your night's going on, but you were watch, you're right. There was no phone looking. There was very much engaged with the movie. And, uh, and the great thing as well with the physical cinema space is people come out of the film and pre social distancing, they'd want to talk about it. You know, yeah. you would literally get strangers that had never met each other before just getting talking uh, over a bar. Uh, and that's the other thing, you know, when, when we were touching on the idea of the physical cinema experience being different to the online experience. And, you know, I, I, I really believe that both will exist in synergy and you can already see that happening. You know, when, when you have a physical cinema and you have the director come and do a Q&A, I remember at home we had Barry Jenkins come for Moonlight. And I remember, you know, that was a really special film, you know, it's a, from a really special filmmaker. But I remember afterwards in the bar, Barry Jenkins just sitting in the bar and people just coming up to him. You know, a lot of young 
young black kids that have been to see the film just coming up to him and, and saying, you know, this film is going to change my life. Now, you're not going to you're not going to get that at, at, at home. No. Uh, but as I said, I, I, I do want to stress I, I'm not one of these people that, that thinks of online as, as a threat or a challenge. I, I see it as an opportunity. So I do want to be clear about that. But, you know, I also want to stress the two experiences are very different. I mean, I remember seeing The Neon Demon with Nicholas Winding Refn at home. And, you know, that is a film a bit like Mandy that really trades in colour and mm. neon. And, and and the experience of that and Refn talking to audiences after that film, Lynn Ramsey, when Lynn Ramsey came for, um, for You Were Never Really Here, you know, Lynn Ramsey, uh, who, who I thought was going to be quite truculent, but really enjoying just talking to people in the bar afterwards at Gorinda Charter, similarly, when she came for Blinded by the Light, you know, talking to Springsteen fans and, and young Asian audiences afterwards. You know, that, that that is what makes the physical cinema experience so special and really elevates it. And as I said, it's not at the expense of online. Nothing has to be at the expense of, of something else. It's in synergy and, and enhancing that cinema experience yeah, and the experience because, because of engaging a, with culture. Because in a way, what we... You know, viewing films is a is a habit. It's not just about where you see it. You you kind of you watch a film because you want to watch films, and and like there are some experiences that are better than others, and 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 and, and in a way, it's access to films. Um, I want to jump to something that, that sort of plays into what you're already talking about with the examples you've given, in the sense that you said something that I thought was really interesting when we spoke, because obviously, home is a is a is a is a public space as much as it's a cinema and an art space. It's 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 backed by some government funding and, and lottery funding and stuff, isn't it? Um, Correct. Yeah. So so this idea that films should be egalitarian, it should be an affordable public good. It should show stories that reflect diverse range of audiences and people in your audience. I mean, I mean, I think I mean when you think about like the way film can be that fast track education in terms of culture and and, and experience in other cultures. I mean, I. <laughs> When, when Corner House was around when I was a kid in Manchester, you know, the John Woo season they put on, I'd never heard of him. You know, and suddenly I've, 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 the Hong Kong action cinema has now opened up to me yeah. because of a season at the cinema. I mean, and obviously this is in an age pre-internet, but the fact was that, that, that but you went with friends, you, you then met other people that you'd never met before who were also there. So suddenly you're making connections. And that's one of the that's 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 the kind of meta experience of the cinema, isn't it? That you, because if you go twice to any kind of theme night, and you see the same faces, it's a bit like seeing people at the bus stop. You're going to start talking. Yeah, but but I think the great thing about online, and it was the point I was going to make when I when I spoke about trawling around London and seeing all these classic films. What online has done, it has given younger audiences perhaps that aren't used to that repertory cinema experience. It's given them the opportunity to engage with filmmakers like John Woo. You know, again, I mentioned Scorsese. Scorsese prayed the Criterion channel and movie hmm. as being, you know, properly curated online channels. And I do think that they're two of the best. I think the BFI is another very good um, online system, the BFI player. But, you know, for somebody that isn't used to seeing John Woo or Eric Roma or Fellini, because movie have done seasons on those two filmmakers quite recently, you know, that doesn't need to be a barrier anymore that you haven't seen those in a cinema screen. You can discover them online. And that's where I think online is important because what it is, what online can do, it can encourage cinephilia. It can encourage an engagement with a wider and broader diversity of film culture. And that, that can only be a good thing. Mm. You know, if it introduces, if someone discovers a film, it doesn't matter where they discover it. As far as I'm concerned, they discover it online or they discover it from going into a cinema. That is a good thing because what I think we want to 
come out of this when cinemas reopen. I think we want audiences to come back, but I also think we want audiences to come back with a sense of excitement and engagement. And I think we want audiences to come back and to go on a journey. And I think because of certain things that have happened during lockdown, conversations around uh, the Me Too movement, conversations around the Black Lives Matter movement, conversations around, you know, who gets to be the gatekeeper, who gets to be the curator, who gets to make films, who gets to tell stories, who gets to see films, who gets to see the stories, you know, who is the curator, who is the artist, who is the audience? I think there's been a lot of uh, in discussion and engagement around that. And I think we've reached a place where people are saying it's no longer acceptable just to have one type of film or one type of filmmaker or one type of audience. We want a plethora of filmmakers, curators and audiences. We want films by non-white filmmakers. We want more films by women. We want films by filmmakers of colour. And we want curators from, from uh, 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 of colour and, and of different genders and of different economic backgrounds. And we want audiences that fulfil all those criteria too. And, and, and I think that we've had to really seriously debate what it is we're going to come back to. What is it we're going to want on our screen? Do we just want cinemas with 5, 10, 15 screens just playing um, No Time to Die in every single screen? I don't think we do want that. I think we want um, a more diverse cinema landscape. We want we want No Time to Die. Of course we do. It's films an ecosystem. But we also want Clemency. We, we also want Minari. We also want the documentary about Tina Turner. We also want The Souvenir Part 2 by Joanna Hogg. I think all of these films have a part to play. And I think it will be really disappointing if when cinemas do reopen, both the multiplexes and the boutique cinemas with multi-screens just go back to just filling their screens with the same Hollywood product. I think that would be a real waste of this moment we've had to reflect. So let's hope that doesn't happen. I mean, that's and, that, and this is maybe where the crystal ball gazing might come in a bit because, because obviously before COVID, there was a world that was homogenous and the studios could release a film on the world, you know, without any barrier to it because it had bought the slots and all the other system was set up for it. And obviously COVID has disrupted that. And the way the world is coming out of COVID isn't as simple as cleaning up after Glastonbury Festival. It's not going to be a case of like eight days from now, it'll all be a field again. There, there won't be the, the, the global space that there once was to release a kind of no-gamble $200 million movie like there once was. Yeah, well, I think that's where the major changes, you know, that's where the major changes is is going to be. And as I said, I think at the start, you know, the idea, if multiplexes, they, they may well believe this, I'm not sure, but if they really believe they're going to play James Bond and then it's going to be 60, which is now going to be, No Time to Die is going to be released on October the 1st, we've learned today. But if they believe they're going to play that film in their cinemas on October the 1st, and then people are going to have to wait 16 weeks so they can watch it online, I think they're fooling themselves. So, mm. you know, I, I think you, I think you're going to be able to watch that film fairly fairly quickly. So I think that is going to change how they how they program because if people can watch that film either within a few days or simultaneously, it strikes me that there's no point in filling every single every single screen and every single screening slot with that same film because I think people are going to want more choice than that. Uh, and, and as I said, I think that that is going to be a healthy thing for audiences and a healthy thing for programming. Um, you know, there's no reason why No Time to Die has to play in a multiplex in every single screen on every single slot. That you know, there isn't the demand for that. There just isn't. And from a from an economic point of view, I can understand why multiplexes need to generate as much revenue and as much income as possible. But it's also possible to do that by having a broader film program. You know, you have to remember without going too much into the mechanics. 
the film rental on a on a film like No Time to Die is very very high. Whereas the film rental for an independent film, um, you know, a film released by the likes of Curzon or or, or Mubi or the BFI, is much lower. So you know, why not take a chance on one of those films? Why not play one of those films? Uh, 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 and and if people do react to the film and people do come, then you're going to be the winner because you're keeping more of your rental. But how, but it, this is where I mean because obviously for a place like home, you're obviously a very curated space. You're 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 in charge in a, in a, in in as much as you can ever be in this life. You're in you're in charge of your own destiny in terms of what films you want to you want to show, and the kind of and you keep talk you keep mentioning your audience, and that makes me think, and it suggests very strongly that there is a dialogue between home and the can the people that come to home, and then and also. There's a want to have a conversation with people that aren't coming to home. So you're constantly trying to challenge who comes through the doors by testing the waters with new things and new ideas. So whereas obviously the the, the flip is the is maybe the, the approach of something that might have 50 screens up and down the country is that, right, we drop. It's very easy on the admin to drop eight films for the next two weeks. And we all show the same and every slot is filled with these. And so... Are we thinking? Are we thinking then that there's a world after COVID where, I don't know, Cineworld in Enfield is is programming for Enfield, on a for a Monday four o'clock slot because they can because that's not a crucial slot for No Time to Die, but it might be a crucial slot for getting eighteen to twenty five year old students in who want to see an interesting film beyond Bond. That's the optimistic hope. And as I said, you know, to go back to the example I gave earlier, you have to remember that Parasite. As I said, it took over twelve million pounds. Now that wasn't a film that only played in art house venues. Mm. That was a film that played in multiplexes and was successful in multiplexes. So I think I think that that proves that there is an appetite for films beyond the Hollywood the Hollywood mainstream. You know, I I, I just think that we we have to try these things. And just to pick up on the point, because it is an important point you make, the idea that home is subsidised. We are we are subsidised, and the multiplex operators would argue that we're able to take chances on foreign language and independent films because we received subsidies. But we're also able to take chances on this foreign language and independent films because we've built an audience for them. Mm. You know, film is an art, but it is also an industry and a business. And even though home is subsidised, you know, it would be in dereliction of duty if we were showing art to empty screens. Yes, you indeed, know, indeed. We need people to come. And the fact is that people do come and see independent film and independent culture. And I, I would argue... If there was a greater commitment to that um, in other venues, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I'm not saying this is a criticism. There are a lot of, you know, Picture House, um, Curzon, you know, the independent venues such as Watershed Bristol and Glasgow Film Theatre, some of the multiplex operators like The Lights, you know, Everyman. But y- 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 there is a sense that they are trying to program more broadly. And they have to, you know, certainly the ones that, that that don't have subsidies and the funding incentives, they have to they have to operate on a, on a commercial commercial basis. You know, they're businesses; they mm. have to operate. But you know, my my argument would be is that sometimes, for me, it doesn't make business sense when you're paying a very high film rental for a blockbuster film like No Time to Die to have every single slot in every single screen given to that film because if people don't come, it's a huge risk. So. You know, sure, have the commitment to that because that's where the majority of your bread and butter is going to be. But also have a slot for something that's outside of that with a lower rental. I, I also have to make the point that I'm very keen to stress that home, we do have a dialogue with our audience, but we, we also are aware that entertainment uh, and cinema 
has many functions. You know, it's to stimulate, to provoke, to in some ways radicalize. You know, we, we like to show films that have a radical aesthetic. It, it's also about fulfilling a kind of societal role. You know, I've mentioned having films from from different voices and multiplicity of voices to reflect the fabric of society. It's all of that. But we are also very much cognizant of the fact that film is an entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with film being an entertainment. You know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to see myself as a snob. That, that You know, I mentioned the idea of, I don't like the idea of the cinema as a church. I think, I think venues have to be exclusive. Um, not Sorry, the opposite of that. They have to <laughs> not be ex- exclusive. They have to be inclusive. And sometimes it's fine for films just to be entertaining. And we also have to remember that a lot of films that are entertaining, a lot of Hollywood films, I'm not anti-Hollywood at all, are often very well-made films. You know, I'm sure that No Time to Die, directed by a very good filmmaker, Karyogi Fukunaga, will be a very well-made film. Sam Mendes, very good filmmaker. Guillermo del Toro, who makes films within Hollywood, very good filmmaker. You know, just as I, I'm really against the idea that people say, I don't want to watch a film before 1975, or I don't want to watch a film with subtitles, they are closing off. Uh, a, 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 a really big area of brilliant filmmaking. I also think that people that believe that films that are made in Hollywood or a mainstream are evil are similarly ch- closing off a very big area of filmmaking. You know, because of our our agreement with our um, our local council, who are in effect our tenants, and because of the funding agreements that we have with the BFI uh, and, and other funders. You know, we have KPIs that, that dedicates or dictates that the film program at home has to be broadly led by culture rather than being led by commerce. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to say that from time to time we won't play a more mainstream film. I mean, we played Blue Story because we felt that was a very important film to play because that was a film that was for very much for young black audiences. Um, and the, the local multiplex perhaps wasn't going to be playing that film. So we, we will play films that have, um, you know, a, a kind of broader appeal. Uh, you know, we play a lot of the awards crossover films, which can be quite broad. You know, The Shape of Water by Del Toro, we played. We haven't yet decided whether we play No Time to Die, but we did play Spectre. Um, you know, we, 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 we don't take a, um, a very, as I said, high-minded approach to to art you know if a film is good it's good enough for us to play it now i know the idea of good is objective Mm. but we we wouldn't we wouldn't decide to not play a film because it's english language and it's got stars in it and it's made within the hollywood system um we might decide to not play a film because so many cinemas around us are already playing it or the rental is really high you know that might be a reason why we decide not to play it but that that would inform our decision much more than whether the film is mainstream you know, we want people to come to home. We want as broad a range of audiences as possible to come to home. And if that includes um, young teenagers, so we thought it was really important to play a film like Queen and Slim. You know, we want those audiences. We want those audiences to come to us. What we really want is for barriers to be eroded. And we don't want there to be, you know, I know for a fact, because I've got teenage children, that a lot of teenagers are used to the multiplex experience where they go to a multiplex and they can have a drink and popcorn. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we also want those audiences to come to come to us, um, you know, because we want them to see that home and arts venues like home are for everyone. As I said, they're not these austere churches where you come in and you can't speak and you have to behave in a certain way. 
that's the antithesis of what we are. We're not that at all. Mm. And if from time to time we can play a film which may prize some of the audiences away from the multiplexes just to come and see what we offer, then we're going to do that. And equally, I have no problem with the multiplexes playing the films that we would traditionally think of of much more appropriate for home. You know, if a multiplex wants to play MLK, FBI, the recent brilliant documentary about Martin Luther King, if a multiplex wants to play Clemency, uh, if a multiplex wants to play The Assistant, or if a multiplex wants to play The Souvenir Part 2 or Parasite, I have absolutely no problem with that. I think what we have to get away from is kind of divide and rule and presiding over our own dominions and saying, no, you can't have that. We have this. I think we have to share. You know, if the, if the industry is going to survive, and I believe it will, we have to be more more inclusive and more sharing. You know, we, we can't bar people from doing what we're already doing. We have to share films. We have to share audiences. And we have to, in some way, share intelligence. And that is... And I mean Intel rather than intelligence. And that is also going to mean sharing with the online community. Um, you know, divide and conquer isn't going to cut it anymore. That's not that's not the way to go. So, so the race the race to the bottom, so the only one left, isn't isn't where we want. Isn't going to be good for anybody in the, in the long term. No, absolutely. You know, I've been doing this now for about twenty eight years, and you know, I'd like to think I've always taken the approach that you know, barring people from doing things isn't the right thing to do from from a from, from a from a kind of philosophical point of view and from a business point of view you know we 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 have to help we have to help we have to help the business and the industry get back on its feet grow mutate and and, and go in new directions and the way that we're going to do that is is working in a collaborative manner um not not in a non-collaborative manner i think it's a really important thing for the industry and we've seen that you know we've seen the independent distributors that when uh, the multiplexes were closed uh, and then as the multiplexes began to open, we've seen those those distributors step up and release films. You know, Altitude did it with the Russell, Russell Crowe film. I think it was called Unhinged. You know, and Altitude continued to release films. Rocks, which I think is one of the big success stories of the year. Uh, Curzon continued to release films. While studios weren't releasing films although Warners did do Tenet. And again, this isn't a criticism of the studios. It's just part of their business practice. While the studios weren't releasing the films, the independent distributors were. And, and I think that when all cinemas reopen their doors, we have to remember that. And that applies to the multiplexes that played these films from Altitude and the BFI uh, and Curzon. We have to remember that they were there for this when the studios weren't able to be. And, and that's why I hope that the programming remit of the multiplexes is going to be a little bit broader. We'll see. You know, we'll soon see. And I think audiences also, I think audiences have become more educated. Um, you know, I don't want to rain on their parade, but I think audiences, the more cognizant and, and, and philanthropic and more socially aware audiences are probably going to think twice about whether they're going to want us to give their money to Weatherspoons when pubs reopen. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think audiences have, gone on a similar journey with regard to what have, what are the ethics of this company we're giving our money to what was their stance during lockdown what was their ways of supporting the community and, and, and i think that that in some instances certain certain organizations are going to be hoisted by their own petard if they don't show a socially aware um more a socially aware approach to business i think it's going to be a really important part of any business is isp no, without a doubt. I mean, I know it's not film, but you know, 
I remember the the headlines that um, Liverpool Football Club got when it was going to furlough staff, and then it wasn't. It didn't take too long before it reversed that decision, um, because it is a community institution as much as it's a business, and its reputation. Yeah, still and again, matters. it goes back to that idea. You know, we we you know for, for the threats that the film industry has faced, and you mentioned that you know the threat from television, the threat from Blu-ray and and DVD. The, the, the threat, and I'm making in inverted commas signs, yeah. people can't see them because it's a podcast from online. You know, we, we've overcome all these threats quite often from from polling resources and working together. And, and, and I really strongly believe that working together is going to be the way that we're, we're going to overcome the threat of COVID. And, and you know, when, when we are out of this lockdown, I think we have to recognise that we are going to be, when we do reopen again from May 17, we're going to be operating under restrictions. You know, there's still going to be social distancing. Obviously, the one thing I think the government has handled, and, and I'm sorry to be political, I think the government has handled things relatively badly, and that's an understatement. They, you know, there was the Cultural Recovery Fund, which we're all grateful for, and I know that not everyone has, have, has had access to. But I think the, the role that the government has played in getting the vaccine out quickly I think that is one thing that they do have to take credit credit for, much as I'm loath to give them credit for everything. We can give praise to the NHS for that, though, can't we? Praise to the NHS for that, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and look at look at look at the difficult difficult circumstances they've had to operate under. But you know, undoubtedly, Stuart, when when venues reopen, we're not home and dry. You know, we may have a roadmap to recovery, but you know, what is the success rate of the vaccination going to be? What what is you know the strains of new viruses that are going to mutate and and and, and spread? Um, you know what the economic recession that we're 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 we're, we're going to be facing. Are there going to be other lockdowns? I've already mentioned the fact that we we know we're going to be operating with social distancing, so we're going to be able to sell less seats, which means less revenue. These are all challenges that we face. So we we can't suddenly think that the battle is won. You know the the battle has really just just begun, and and, and the way that we're going to kind of defeat this thing, I really think, is in a collaborative manner from sharing learnings. From 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 sharing audiences, from working together, from a- acting as support for each other, hmm. in, you know, supporting the films that companies release, supporting the initiatives that companies roll out. You know, we're going to have to be collaborative and collegiate. You know that that is how we're going to survive the challenges that are undoubtedly. Ahead. Thankfully, that was that was a message I was receiving loud and clear. If if the twenty people on Inside Pictures or anything to go by. A question I asked everybody is, you know, what's a what's an initiative change that you, that you've been that's impressed you about about the way the industry's responded to COVID, and what and, and more more often than not, people said it was the ability to come together. You know, people were willing to be more flexible than they had been before, and we found that with distributors. You know, I mentioned people that were releasing films, but you know, modern films as an example, and Dogworth, you know, they immediately started to collaborate with, with cinemas to say, okay, look, we're going to have to release these films online because they're not open. But how about if we do a revenue share scheme with you? How about if, um, you know, people that come to our, our, our homepage or the cinema's homepage, they can, they can pledge 50% of their virtual ticket fee back to your venue. And, and that has, has generated revenue and income for venues. And it's also, you know, it's been a, a sharing of audiences, uh, with distributors and venues, you know, and I, and I have to give credit to, to to modern films and Second Run and New Wave and Dogworth, who've been who, who've been absolutely brilliant in the way that they've combined to say, well, what can we do to help you? 
What can we do to help you in this difficult period? Uh, and I think that won't be forgotten. And I certainly think that going forwards, a lot of venues are going to develop their own online platforms. You know, when I've mentioned that the online world isn't going anywhere, you know, I, I think it will become an even bigger part of what home does. Because as I mentioned, in terms of access, there are audiences out there that we want to reach. There are audiences out there that, that, that we know are going to be slower to return to cinemas. You know, it's a term which is being interrogated, quite rightly. BAME audiences, uh, you know, face face a, a slow return. Audiences in older age groups, although they are first to get the vaccine, face a slow return. You know, audiences that may not live where there's a cinema. Audiences that, that you know, that may have access issues in terms of mobility. You know, the, 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 we, we need to continue to make sure that we reach these once we reopen, because they're not going to be e immediately able to return and and that's where online really kind of your pardon the pun spreads the net wider and enables us to show to people that we are there for you um and, and that's what i think that it's going to become an interesting time I mean, that's the another thing i've learned over this this period that is something i didn't appreciate because it's not new but it's something that's been used more and more and you you described it with that sort of profit share arrangement is the idea of online theatrical which is obviously because there is, because of the way a cinema, uh, sorry, a film release window works, and all the different windows is that's obviously where revenue for cash goes. So, if you call an online release an online theatrical, then you're essentially treating it like a virtual trip to the cinema, aren't you? It's not just about accessing the film. In the, I mean, for the punter, it's just accessing a film. Yeah. Just watching the film, but from a business point of view, it's like it's like saying, yeah, we understand that in normal times some of these people would actually have walked through your doors. So let's let's keep you around and us around at the same time. Yeah. And, and two other things, I think, which are really important about that, and that's a really good point. And, and, and two things that are really important is, you know, going back to the idea, uh, you know, when, when the studios weren't releasing films, what were the critics and the journalists writing about? Um, well, they weren't able to write about big studio films, so they wrote about independent films. Mm. You know, films like The Assistant, which I know I keep mentioning in currency, they all got lead reviews, even though there were online releases. And I think that's something that we have to cling to. You know, hopefully, you know, the, the press and the, the, the media will continue to write about these films when Hollywood films are still being, still being released. Uh, and the other thing, which is an important point that you made, is that, you know, when cinemas do reopen... As you know, there are, and Damien may have made this point as well, there are an awful lot of films released. You know, prior to lockdown, on any given week when physical cinemas were open, you could have anything up to 17 films released a week. Now, that's a lot of films. Now, cinemas can't always physically support those films because they don't have enough screens. What it, what it now enables venues to do with online is it means that a cinema can support a film for its online release without necessarily supporting a film physically. Now, some reason, sometimes uh, a cinema might want to support a film physically, but it can't because it doesn't have enough screen space. There are too many other films out. It may have a festival going on because, you know, independent venues like Home, we, not only do we play first-run films, we have our own curated seasons. What the online world now enables us to do, it enables the, 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 the physical venue to support the film in an online capacity, even if it can't support it in a physical capacity. And that can only help bring audiences to the film and 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 bring people to that film because it comes under the banner of that venue. You know, people that expect a certain film from home or from Walshed or from GFT, they may think, well, why are they not playing it? Oh, but, but they are screening it online so we can still see it and we can still support a venue that we love. You know, we learned very much during lockdown, and you mentioned this in, in your introduction, that home is very much loved by the community. People really like what we do. You know, mm. we had people that bought tickets they weren't going to be able to see 
the events they bought ticket for, rather than taking a refund, giving home the money, saying you're going to need this, you keep it, and then when you come back. So, so we know that we're valued by by our audiences and and by our community, and then we have a really strong strong place. And 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 supporting these films online is just another way of saying to them, you know. We've got your backs. You, you can see this film, even mm. if you, I mean, home is lucky. We've got five screens. We can usually accommodate pretty much everything. But you know, if there is a time when, if we go back to the business model, that a film we like very much that has done okay but hasn't brought in huge audiences, and we want to continue to support it in some way, we can still continue to support it through having it in, in an online capacity. And does, so and does it, I was going to say, does that then mean as well? You are with with the with the physical space you've got you have the ability to to pivot on a choice you might have made. So let's say, I mean, an example that's happened actually during COVID was was on Shudder, they released um, Host. So that was a film that was only ever destined for... But because it was... I mean, obviously, it, it gained a lot of headlines because of the nature of how it was made, but ostensibly it was a popular film and the popularity grew so much that they ended up doing a limited theatrical release at the end, just before the second lockdown, where it got to show at the BFI. And you're like... This is this is amazing that the that a ground up swell of, of of interest in a film has turned what would have been just a online release and nobody would have batted an eyelid if that's what had happened and have still congratulated it has actually turned into something much bigger and so from that end does that mean that what you're suggesting that films you might want to accommodate that could become bigger news than you might have expected can then become a physical watch as well? Yeah, I mean and and. You know, what that means is that if a film is very successful, uh, I mean, it completely changes the market in, in some ways. If a film is successful online, you know, the distributor of that film might might think, you know what, we we didn't envisage uh, or envision a theatrical release for this film. But you know what, maybe there is a theatrical audience. Let's put it out. So, so you know, the way it used to go, we mentioned video DVD, you know, a film would, would appear in cinemas, then it would go on. VHS as it was, that's how old I am, then then DVD, then Blu-ray, then on television, um, then the next step w- 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 was was before television, sorry, was online. Now that, that whole process and that whole kind of steps one, two, three, four has been completely changed because now a film can go online first and then it can still go in the cinema. Mm. And, and, and I think that's really an exciting place to be because you, you, you can monitor the, the reaction to something and think, well, if people are really responding to it and you get feedback, you know, the good thing about, you know, you mentioned we have a very good dialogue. With our audience. The good thing about having a dialogue with our audience is people come to us and say, God, we love that film, but wouldn't it be great to see it in a cinema? And if five, six, seven, eight people say that to you, you think, okay, we've got an audience for this. Let's do it. Hmm. And that's where I think the dynamics have really changed. But I, th- and I think in a way, this is a story that's been developing over a decade. I mean, you talk about your own history with, with Curzon in before this, which, and, and Damien pointed this out to me, you know, up until 10 months ago, Curzon was one of the very few in the market with this vertical integrated model. And obviously now it's going to become the norm because it makes sense. Um, yeah. But I, I'm working with a, with a filmmaker called Ashley Horner, who made a film called Brilliant Love back in 2009. Now that played at Tribeca and at Tribeca it got picked up by IFC Digital and then that did gangbusters in America on a digital platform after it having a kind of, you know, what what Tribeca gives a film, I suppose. Now, that was 2009. This is this one we're in 2021 talking almost about that as if this is still the vanguard, but actually it's a successful route for films 
that aren't part of what you would call the mainstream. And and it was we, yeah. it, it's been interesting thinking as you've been talking that one of the, one of the things I hadn't noticed till what you were describing in in this in, in a more pluralistic pluralistic uh, offering in the cinema is that. One of the things that the pandemic has done is that we're not bombarded with endless, pointless marketing for films that aren't going to be out for two years. So, you know, the space that is available here and now to pick a film is all we're being told about, in a way. It's like the future isn't being marketed at us 24-7 like it would have been outside the pandemic. And I don't know whether... I, I can't imagine that's going to stay the same, but... It's actually quite a nice thought to, to have had while we were talking about better offering at the yeah, cinema. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the point I made that, you know, things that may not have got the um, media space, you know, are now getting the column inches. Mm. You know, as I said, you know, and these films are important films. I mean, I, I Clemency was probably my favourite film of, of 2020, closely followed by The Assistant and closely followed by Never Really, Sometimes Always, the Eliza Hitman um, film. You know, and, and these films that were written about really quite widely you know not only in the broadsheet media um uh, uh, and film related publications but they were written about in the kind of red tops as well to an extent uh, and, and i think that that is helping because there was less you know the idea that less is more because there was less there was more attention given to these films mm. and and we, we are quite often um you know I agree with Scorsese, the term content, I think, is a hateful term. But we are, we, there is a deluge of films. You know, as I mentioned, on any given week, there can be 17, 18 films released theatrically. Mm. And that and that has kind of reduced. And I think it's given people a space to pause and think about, OK, I, I want to watch this, but I want to engage with it properly. You know, I, I want to really engage with it. I want to think about it. I don't just want to watch it as a piece of content and then immediately watch something else. I want to let it percolate and, and think about it. And, and, and I think people are being more um, discerning with their viewing choices, even mm. though they've got more time on their hands. And I think they're being more considered about their viewing choices. Um, and I, and I, again, I think that can only be a very positive thing for the future. And I think it will also change, you know, as an example, I think as, as venues like home develop our own digital offer, and we will be developing it. And, and, you know, I have to give credit to venues like the Barbican and the ICA. You know, the ICA recently did a retrospective of Wong Kai Wai on their Cinema Free channel, which is very successful. And also the Queen's Film Theatre Belfast, you know, uh, were one of the first venues to introduce a digital online channel. And I think it will change how curators curate because I think it will mean that you know, not every film that, that venues like Home and the ICA and the Queen's Film Theatre plays are films that have distribution. You know, we quite often go to a festival and see a film and we realise it's not going to get distribution and we deal directly with the sales agent or the producer or even the filmmaker to play the film. Mm. Now, what it's going to mean going forwards is not only will we negotiate for that film to play in our venues, we're going to be negotiating for that film to play on our online platforms. And as I said, you know, I mentioned that idea of collaboration. We will say to, um, I mean, it's pretty much how distribution works. You know, I might see a film at a festival and 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 like it, uh, and I might say to the Queen's Film Theatre Belfast or the ICA, you know, I I'm going to do this online. Do you want to collaborate? Do you want to give it some shows in your on your screen? Okay, I understand you're not going to do that, but do you want to do it online anyway? You know. It, this is this is where it's going to really open up new possibilities, uh, 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 and this is, I think, something that's really exciting. Films that might not have been seen, and, and you know yourself, for all the films 
at festivals that get screened at festivals, so many of them don't ever make it beyond their festival screening for various reasons. You know, a distributor might look at it and think there isn't a strong business case, mm. uh, or, or there might be other reasons why why they don't make distribution. We'll be here for forever if we go through all the reasons. But <laughs> I, I think that this new this new online environment is going to mean that certain films that might have slipped through the net will no longer slip through the net, and they 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 might get a screening now, whether it's an online screening or theatrical physical screening. I, I, I just think that it's gonna gonna increase the possibility of titles getting seen by people. Well, look, Jason. On that optimistic note, I'm going to draw us to a close. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I look forward to when I can travel back to Manchester and I can step over your do- over your threshold. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. No, I, I've always I've been an admirer of the podcast and a, and a listener, so it's an honour to be invited on. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.